I do think that we're going to see the type of offense they're going to be against Vanderbilt. But, you know, what if they think they can win the Vanderbilt game by looking like kind of the Georgia of old of, you know, hand the ball to DeAndre Swift, Zamir White, Brian Harrion, those guys most of the time don't throw it as much. And then when they see Notre Dame, just say, hey, surprise, we're jacking the ball up and down the field. Hey there, my name is Scott Duvall, and you're listening to episode 184 of the Waiting Since Last Saturday podcast. A couple hours ago, I got an email notification on my phone, glanced down to look at the lock screen, and saw the title of the email was Seth Emerson Interview, and the sender was Will Leach. So I knew immediately that I needed to drop everything else that I was doing and get this thing edited and published, which is exactly what I decided to do. Now, Seth, for the four of you listening who do not know, He's the staff writer for The Athletic covering Georgia football. And this is the annual preseason interview that Will and Seth do together. Safe to say, this will definitely qualify for our special Spotlight Series moniker on this podcast. Perhaps the Leach-Emerson interview is why the Spotlight Series was incorporated in the first place. Whatever the answer is, we're glad to bring it to you today. And in this episode, you'll hear the latest of what Seth has to share on Georgia's offense and defensive outlook. He and Will cover just about every position on the field. Trust me, they go through it all. And towards the end of the episode, they touch on what they think the 2019 expectations mean for the dogs for this year and for years to come. So thanks for joining us today. Here's Will to get the season, no, not the season, the podcast started. Right. Uh, hi, uh, I'm Will. Tony and Scott are not here because it's one of these special podcasts. In fact, I would argue out of all the special podcasts, this is, in fact, the most special of all the podcasts because it is our annual chat with the great Seth Emerson of The Athletic. Uh, this is year two for you at The Athletic now, right? Seth, are you are, are you happy over there or are you going to make a probably terrible professional decision and say you're deeply unhappy and tell me that specifically on my podcast? I might have done that two years ago, uh, <laughs> recording this and I were at my, my previous employer, but, um, no, I am as happy now as I was last year, ecstatic even, uh, it's, it's been great. I'm also like perversely, uh, living up to the whole athletic moniker and I've gotten into doing triathlons and stuff too. So I'm just oh, wow. all in on, on this whole, the athletic thing. I am, I am the person that when they're trying to hire somebody away from a newspaper or whatever, they're like, get them with Seth. Seth will, <laughs> will make the push. We'll test. I'm the closer apparently. Although my, my closing rate is, uh, is, is roughly Shane Green esque uh, <laughs> lately, but uh, you know when is this running? By the way, is Shane Green's closing percentage going to be even lower by that time? Or he's not even really the closing. yeah. I don't think he's going to be closing anymore. Yeah, <laughs> those, yeah. those days are dead. Well, I'll have you know uh, that's great, and I like that you're living up to the athletic moniker. I have to tell you, I have seen some of your colleagues at the athletic, and I'm not entirely sold that everyone is doing triathlons. But I'm impressed. Yeah, that you- well, <laughs> I, I, every time I do one, I, I run into somebody from uh, UGA Athletics, and and I want to like an administrator or something, and and I, I make sure to tell them like you know spread the word. Some of us in the beat core here, yeah, you know we can <laughs> we can hang out. Actually, it, it's amazing. Not to get off on a huge tangent, or whatever, but there's different degrees of athleticism. I remember um, I was uh, interviewing some former Georgia tight ends uh, this spring the day before I did a 5k and it was for a, a project that 
you and I know about, but we are not talking about yet. But, yes, not yet. Um, as we were leaving, I was like, yeah, I got to go. I've got a 5K uh, tomorrow in Athens. And, and it was Jeb Blazevich. And he's like, wow, 5K, I could never do that. And I'm like, really? <laughs> you were like, an, you know, <laughs> basically a world-class athlete, yeah. you know, a tight end at Georgia. And he's like, well, you know, I'm... My specialty was about ten yards ahead. Yeah. You know, I can literally do everything else. I can literally do everything yeah. else athletically, but perhaps not. Yeah, that. <laughs> yeah. It, it made me feel good about myself that even former, recently graduated former Georgia football players were impressed with my ability to run five k in not actually that extraordinarily great a time. Welcome to the land of uh, middle-aged riders starting running a lot to make themselves to make sure realize, oh right, I'm gonna die if I don't do this. Yes. So yes. that's always, yeah. always my nice wife is very much in favor of this midlife crisis rather than the buy a Camaro or something. You know, that's weird. My wife was totally didn't. I, she may have been rooting for my death because I, I don't. <laughs> anyway, uh, off topic. Okay, so uh, so anyway, I want to subscribe to the Athletic. Uh, good stuff. I've been a lo- obviously a longtime subscriber, even though Richard Deitchin. I still don't get along. Uh, other than that, uh, really? Oh yeah, oh. I, I don't understand why it's an old dead spin thing. I'm sure, but uh, anyway, everyone subscribe to Athletic. It's good stuff, uh, obviously. So, uh, and obviously, you're doing great stuff on it. Um, I, I personally. Thank you. Have felt that uh, uh, your coverage was always good, the AJC. But, you know, it's just got to be easier not to be like, all right, well, here's our regular. We are a minute and a half into the first quarter update for you slideshow. It's got to be. A, yeah. You have to do that. Yeah. I mean, I mean, now, let me preface this by saying I, I, I still, you know, I love a lot of people. Of course, of course. Of course. Of course. Of course. Um, and, you know, my, my beat partners who have to live in the world of, you know, get doing stuff for page views, right? Two or three stories a day, whatever. We're all close. Yeah. You know, of we, course. we, we're all in this together. But yeah, I love the world I'm in because the athletic wants me to, like, no, don't, don't just burp out this 300 word thing. Like, take a minute. Take a few minutes, take an hour, take a day, and write the you know the best piece you can write. Uh, and don't write something every day if there's if there's nothing to write. And they also give me a lot of time and leeway to go do things like this uh, feature I did on Valdosta State that ran Sunday, um, just on the rich coaching legacy at play, that place, like Kirby Smart, Will Muschamp, Mike Leach. Dana Holverson, how mummy they were all there, and and it's gotten a great response. It's it's just it it does seem like the stories that I like and the stories I put in the most work in are the ones that our readers respond the most to, which is pretty professionally gratifying. Okay, so uh, enough about us. Um, yeah. Let's let's talk about let's talk about uh, the the team and I but I want to get into like some of the divisions uh, uh, like dividing up uh, positions and so on but I really want to kind of talk about uh, the vibe starting out. Um, you've been at uh, all the all the uh, fall practices or most of the fall practices or, or at least have been able to adequately find a donor mole at uh, any of these uh, practices that you've been uh, not allowed uh, to go to. I know there's always a, I like the lead of your story the other day where, you, where, where Kirby Smart was talking about like, oh, look at the great offensive line, best offensive line in the country, getting knocked off the block uh, uh, five, five out of six times. And I thought that was that was funny. I mean, that spoke to the general depth of kind of what they're doing. This is uh, year four. Uh, this is when we should really start seeing constant depth start to finish. Are we seeing that? Does the coaching staff feel like they're seeing that yeah I, I think that's the thing is the depth and the thing that people don't talk about in terms of georgia losing to alabama because it's, it's really all about 
Alabama, really. Always. Um, yeah, it's, but it, it should be. You know, that's, that's what has stopped Georgia from winning a national championship and then getting to the playoff last year, although losing to LSU. Yeah, that was the real reason. The reason, too, last year. But, but yeah, in those two Alabama losses, everyone talks about the quarterback changes, and those were huge. And, obviously, they talk about what went wrong in second and 26. They talk about Cheney's play calling, and et cetera, et cetera. But something that doesn't get enough attention is that, depth-wise, Georgia didn't match up. As good as Georgia was and as deeper as it was getting in 2018, Alabama was still the one team that had more depth than them. And in 2017, it didn't manifest itself because Georgia went into that national championship with basically the team that won it. They had no injuries. That was a very injury kind of just fortunate team. That Alabama team, people may remember, before the national championship was really affected by injuries. And yet they were still able to hang with Georgia throughout the game and it manifested itself, I think, in last year's SEC championship, too. That's something that has had effect on both sides of the line of scrimmage in the fourth quarter of those games. And I, I think Georgia might be in better shape this year to withstand that, to withstand a bad run of injuries, which they haven't had in preseason camp yet, but you know that they're coming at some point. Um, and to, to be able to, if it does get back to face Alabama in the same situation this year, maybe their ability to shuttle players in and out, keep players fresh, and then hang with Alabama deep into the game will be better. Yeah, I think that gets lost a little bit about that 17 team was just how perfect of a year they had. Yeah. And, and and that's one of the things that made that team so fun, right? Because all the stars were still yeah. there and everything. And you had the young guys and the new guys combined. Like, I'm generally of the argument that I think these teams are going to progressively get better, but a little bit less fun. If that makes sense, and uh, and I, I think so too, and I and, and and that's fine. Like this is what people have complained about Alabama for years. They're churning and they 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 just wear you down. I think Spencer all had the great analogy where they pick you up. Uh, they they say Alabama beats you by picking you up and letting your kick yourself kick your feet until you die, and kick your feet yeah. near helplessly until you die. And, but that's the goal, right? Like that's what Georgia is trying to do. Is to uh, this is why they brought into turn into all Alabama. So I find it less like viscerally enjoyable to be like. To you know, like wow, I'm really excited about the third string left tackle who's a four or five star guy. But that's how you win these things. Yeah, and I think that that's why, if hypothetically somebody wanted to write a book about the start of the Kirby Smart era, mm-hmm, um, I would focus in on the 2015, 2016, 2017 area because those are the most interesting and formative. Like especially that 2016 is when things started to. You know, be established. You just couldn't tell because they went eight and five. But then 2017 is that was a joyous, that was a fun ride for everybody. And last year, 2018 wasn't as fun. I don't know if it was because the Justin Fields thing was a distraction. It wasn't really in the locker room, but it was like on the outside. I'd go on every radio interview and they'd say, So what's going on at quarterback? And I'd be like, <laughs> Look, Jake Fromm's the starter. And they're not saying so, but he is. I'll be curious to see whether they get some of that joy back in, in 2019. I, it definitely was missing in 2018. Which is funny because I, I agree with you. I think just from the outside, it was hard to argue. I mean, for crying out loud, you even saw it, frankly, with the uh, fan excitement toward the end of the season. Uh, and mm-hmm. uh, as opposed to what the year before, when they essentially had the same record, of course. But it just felt 
different. And I think part of that, too, is 2017 was basically the platonic ideal season. In addition to just the roster, you play at Notre Dame, and then you get to go on the revenge tour and, like, wipe out all the people that have been frustrating you for the last few years. Now, and I think that speaks to the general vibe, and I want to get to this at the end of of the show a little bit, too, but now it's expectation, right? Now it's all, uh, you know, this is the goal. The goal, the floor every year is supposed to be now, probably moving forward, SEC's title. That's the absolute floor at this point, right? Like, is there any situation, barring a Jake Fromm injury, where an SEC, not winning the SEC East, is acceptable in any way, shape, or form this year? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I would say, like, the Alabama scenario from 2017, where, let's say, they go 11-1 and one and their one loss is to like, Missouri or Florida, which wins the division, right. but Georgia makes the playoff anyway. <laughs> so, I think, like, yeah, anything other than that would be a disappointment, either SEC East or backdoor into the playoff the way Alabama did. Um, yeah, I mean, if, even if you go 11 and one and still don't make the playoff, I think that's just, you know, I mean, it was like last year. They, they went 11 and one, which frankly I thought was exceeding <laughs> expectations for all the players that they lost. And they almost knocked off Alabama. And then they go to, and I say we go to New Orleans because we, I was on the trip. I'm not a member of the team. Um, but we go to New Orleans and you could just tell immediately the vibe was, eh, you know, this isn't <laughs> yeah. the same. And those of us who have covered this team for a while can remember when the sugar bowl was like, wow, you know, let's, let's get there. You know, that's, that's got to, now I had a great week in New Orleans. The food was great. And I think a lot of the players and staff did too. They enjoyed the food. They enjoyed Harris. uh, things like that. But then it was still overall just kind of a disappointing year. Uh, and a lot of it was the fun was gone. Although now as we're psychoanalyzing, maybe that week they had in New Orleans having fun was because the pressure was off, you know, it's like that, you know, that's it. We're not doing that. So we're just going to be here and have fun. The result was they got beat convincingly by Texas, but yeah, I, I think that's something I'll be really interested to see this year. Um, and we'll get to the whole vibe around the thing, you know, later, but is that joy back? Um, is there just kind of a sense of, you know, that 2017 ennui that they had, does Kirby smart pursue that? Or does he, you know, that, that sense about Alabama that everyone sees like those robotic automaton just kicking everyone's butt. Is that what is just kind of, coming into place now. Okay, so I think one of the questions that I think everyone's pretty curious about, uh, uh, obviously after desperately trying to hang on to him, losing their offensive coordinator uh, to Tennessee, uh, the, um, obviously I'm being somewhat facetious, <laughs> uh, at least in the public consciousness, the offensive line is the centerpiece of everything this team uh, is going to do. Uh, but is it... Like, I'm curious, like, they have all these running backs and there's the concern about the receivers. But to me, like, the number one job of the offensive, like, the only, the way this season falls apart is if Jake Fromm gets hurt. Like, to me, that seems the only way that this thing goes completely mm-hmm. off the rails. And it's funny, you even mentioned the SEC East thing. Like, if they lose to Florida, Missouri, it's actually okay if they lose to Missouri, right? Because they can't go to the SEC championship game. Right, they're not even allowed to go. To yeah, the yeah. So, so no matter what, even yeah. if you even if you lose to Missouri, they still get that spot in that game, right? Um, I think that's right. That's I think that's I, right. I, I, let's see. I, I I don't know. I I still 
think that appeal by Missouri might come down before okay. the season starts. It still it still seems like such a kind of a ridiculous. I agree. I agree. The but the season is like a week and a half away now. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. I, right. I, I agree that it's ridiculous, but I mean. The, I, I, it's hard to, I'm sure if North Carolina were appealing, it would be totally taken care of by now. But, right. Uh, that was the first thing I was going to say was North Carolina's <laughs> out there, so, their situation, but yeah. So my point is that like, to me, the only th- way this thing is a disaster is if something happens to Jake Fromm and we can talk about Stetson Bennett, but I'm curious if that changes how James Coley calls this offense. Is he? Is, do you think he'll be more conservative, more protect? Do you think he'll just let the, particularly with some of the concerns of wide receiver, do you think that he'll they'll concentrate more, uh, particularly early on into, until the Notre Dame game, of just concentrating on keeping everybody healthy and running the ball? Uh, or what, have you been able to get any sense of what his philosophy is, or is his philosophy just uh, I'm? It's Kirby Smart. Uh, my philosophy is. He's my boss. Uh, what what is his philosophy? If you've been able to tell, I think those are that's that's going to be an interesting thing to watch because I I don't have any feel any. I mean, I've got a feel for it, but there can't be any degree of confidence because on the one hand, the feel for it is everybody's saying, yeah, James Cole is going to be more aggressive. That's like but the players talking. Tyler Simmons, receiver, said you're going to see a completely different offense this year, and it's like, well, what does that mean? It's like, well, you know, balls are going to be flying around. That's a receiver. And if a receiver is saying that, that means he's excited because in practice and in scrimmages, they're throwing the ball around. On the other hand, this is still Kirby Smart's team, like you say. And I, I think there were probably things that were in the game plan that it looks like this is Jim Chaney, but in reality, it was Kirby during the week and on the headset during the game when the bullets are flying saying, we got to do this. We got to do this, you know, and I'm sure that kind of thing happens where the, the head and it probably happens in every program where the head coach doesn't dictate the exact play, but says, Hey, this is, you know, I want to run some clock here or whatever. We, we can all understand it. So I, I think that's got to be something interesting to watch. And, and there's going to be a lot of people drawing some conclusions from the Vanderbilt game. And I'm not sure how much we can draw from that because I know the mentality of coaches is, Hey, every game, matters and this is an sec team and it's on the road but you can't tell me that they're not in the back of their mind saying yeah but we kind of want to save some stuff for notre dame i do think that we're going to see the type of offense they're going to be against vanderbilt but you know what if they think they can win the vanderbilt game by looking like kind of the Georgia of old of, you know, hand the ball to Andre Swift, Zamir White, Brian Harrion, those guys most of the time don't throw it as much. And then when they see Notre Dame, just say, Hey, surprise, we're jacking the ball up and down the field. So, and by the way, Notre Dame's in week four. I'm yes, I'm completely overlooking weeks two and three. Cause that's like, you know, Murray state and whoever. I love um, that there's a team named Murray. Like Murray is like the guy that like I like that runs my deli. <laughs> so I just well, yeah, he's got also, his own college. The guy now. from Flight of the Concord, <laughs> right. so that did not right. stay on as long as it needed to stay on. Great but job. anyway, um, yeah. So I get asked this all the time. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to say like, oh, you know, why are you asking me too? Kind of like, but it's the, the Justin Fields question last year has been replaced by the what's the offense going to look like, how different it is going to be. And, you know, whereas for the Justin Fields question, it was like, yeah, look, Jake Fromm's the starter. I don't know how much Fields is going to play, but Jake Fromm's the starter, period. Can we get to the next question? With the offense one, I just wanted to tell people, hold on, let's wait and see. We have these conflicting 
motivations. We have, I, I do think James Coley is more of a thrower, um, a guy that wants to play around more. I also think James Coley is a guy that likes to hang on to his job, and I think he'd <laughs> like to make his boss happy. And yeah. I think his boss, number one, wants to win games. And his boss thinks that you win games by having a run-oriented attack and wearing the other team down. Yeah, even if James Coley is secretly Cliff Kingsbury, he's not going to be Cliff Kingsbury as the offensive coordinator for Georgia. Right, and he's also James Coley is also from basically from the Nick Saban tree. I mean, he he worked with Kirby at LSU and with the Dolphins when you know both were under Saban, and then he was under Jimbo Fisher, who was a Nick Saban guy, but on the offensive side. So when James Coley was at Miami, they did throw the ball around a lot. They may be throwing the ball around a lot in scrimmages and practices, but those are scrimmages and practices. You always hear this preseason happy talk about, oh, we're going to be throwing around a lot. Um, when he was at Miami, they did not have much of a running game, uh, especially his third year. So there was a lot more throwing. But, you know, the different situation here. And with that offensive line, uh, I think there'll be a lot of, hey, let's just give the ball to DeAndre and see what happens here. Okay, so there comes the next question that you're getting all the time. Uh, what are they going to do with the wide receivers? Has anyone jumped out? Has you seen anybody jumped out? Have any of those donors told you that they have jumped out? Yeah. For the record, for the record, by the way, I think that like this is the next step of what the athletics should be giving you. It should be giving you donor money to be able to get uh, to give the money so you can be a donor to the university and then get into these secret practices. I think it's the least they can do. If they were a true uh, committed media organization, they would be uh, having yeah. donors for the. Uh, well, then I'd have to get past the head coach because the head coach. Not only it's not like you give to a certain level and you automatically get into the scrimmages <laughs> and the closed practices. Then the head coach has the ability to cross you off. No mustache. Oh, just I'm get just sure. get like a little mustache and a fake hat, yeah. and a different name, and you'll be fine. Yeah, this um, is uh, <laughs> Steve Everton. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. um, um, but no, so, yeah. so has anybody jumped out? Uh, are, are people freaking up? Uh, freaking out too much about this? Well, George Pickens is the one who's emerged. I mean, he came in as a five-star recruit. He's actually people. Uh, may remember um, when it went into signing day in was it February? It might have been December. I forget because uh, they switch it around. All the they they kind of roll into two. But um, on the signing day, Georgia wasn't considered the favorite. It was thought that he was going to stay in state and go to Auburn. And then at a signing day ceremony, I'm sitting there watching online, and I'm like, oh, I, I better check on the Pickens thing, make sure that you know that something unexpected didn't happen. And as soon as I click online to the video stream, I see. George Pickens wearing a Georgia hat. And I'm like, wait, what? And immediately the tweets start going out. So they get this late kind of unexpected commit from a five-star and, and he hasn't done anything to tap down the hype. He made this great one-handed leaping catch near the sideline that got out of practice or that leaked out. Um, Kirby, when it was asked about that video, didn't really kind of turn down the hype either. He said, Hey, you know, we've seen him do it other times too. Now, does that mean he catches 10 passes a game? Uh, probably not because you got to do other things to get on the field, but you've got to really move him up in the, the tiers. I still have a problem sitting here and saying that X player is going to be their leading receiver. Probably best guess is a committee right now, but um, probably a, I, I definitely think there's talent back there, but you, you just never know when the fact that these are younger, more inexperienced players could rear its ugly head. Uh, you can make a key mistake at a key time and it could affect a drive. You can affect a game. That's overall. It's just, I think they've got some guys to make plays, but 
a lot of times people live in this, you know, video game world, even though NCAA football hasn't been around in a long time, or at least not the way it used to be. Um, but they still think you can just put in somebody with a lot of talent and make some plays. Well, it's not that simple. They, they did lose a lot at receiver and that's definitely a spot to watch as the season starts. Yeah. I feel like that's a pretty good piece of evidence that we're not going to see air raid stuff for a while. Uh, and like when you can do so many other things, well, to me, it seems like there's a non zero possibility that the leading receiver this year is Deandre Swift, right? Doesn't that make, doesn't, doesn't that seem like, or yeah, it depends on uh, whether you're talking about catches or receiving yards. I could see in catches, Charlie Warner being yeah. leading receiver. Because he's, it's kind of the opposite. It's the direct opposite of tight end from receiver. Receiver, they've actually got a lot of guys, but you don't. There's no one who's proven. Charlie Warren is proven, and he's like the one guy they've got at tight end. So I, I could see him catching a lot of balls, especially early in the year, as as Fromm's getting comfortable. Listen, sorry, sorry, Georgia fans. We Illini guys, we took Luke Ford. We took a look forward. We, we apologize. He actually, heaven forbid, wanted to be home near his family and near his loved ones. Screw off, said the NCAA. Um, okay. Uh, speaking of Illinois, <laughs> uh, defensively, it seems, I think you use the term havoc in your pieces. I think of this as actually kind of the old Lovey Smith Bears defense, right? The whole idea was not so much like win the war of attrition, but you're trying to force big plays. You're trying to force turnovers. You're trying to, and that's, that's what they try to do at Illinois too. They just fail because their team isn't very good. But that always seems weird to me that that kind of strategy, because that's usually what teams that don't have an overwhelming amount of defensive talent do they they try to make the big plays they try to they worry more about turnovers than winning that war of attrition is that a choice made out of necessity or is that like a general philosophy that they're going for this year yeah and you know what's interesting about that too is that some that i was struck by is they've been talking about this openly for a program that much like the Bill Belichick program, the, the Nick Saban program, all these others that, you know, it seems to be about like batting down the hatches. Don't let any secrets out. They've been talking about this have a great thing from the start, which seems to be like giving away strategy to other offenses, such as, Hey, we're going to be blitzing. We're going to be coming at you. We're going to be, you know, the, the thing about going for strips as in fumbles, trying to pick off passes. I mean, who's not trying to do that? Um, that's the idea, but the idea that you would be more aggressive in trying to get into the backfield and, and blitzing and everything, um, kind of, you know, for instance, gives Vanderbilt something to work with that they didn't have when the off season started. So it, it's either a giant head fake and they're really going to be the way they've been, or it's just like, yeah, this is just kind of what we're going to be now. So try and stop it. And some of that may be to do with the talent they've got. I mean, they're, this gets back to depth they're deep enough and strong enough on defense that when Brenton Cox leaves the team, whether it was a dismissal or, or not is up to interpretation. Um, but when he leaves the team, this is a guy who was a five-star recruit a year ago who started in the sugar bowl when DeAndre Walker was out, people didn't really bat an eye. They said, eh, we're fine. Still got Jermaine Johnson, who was the nation's number one Juco recruit. Nolan Smith, who was one of the nation's, if not the nation's top overall recruit period. They're both outside linebackers. But these who has had a great off season. He's a redshirt freshman, um, had an ACL in high school. That's why I didn't play much last year. Yeah. And, and so when you have those type of players, I think, yeah, you have the ability to, to really, 
take some more chances. They've got a five-star defensive lineman, freshman Trayvon Walker. I'm not sure how much he'll play right away, but they're looking at him as a guy that can play kind of on the edge of the defensive line as a defensive end. And they've got some faster athletic defensive backs, especially a cornerback that they'll look to see if they can make some plays. So I, I do think that that's going to be who they're going to be, at least at the start. Let's see if it starts to backfire a little bit. You know, when you're as good as they are, I think they have the confidence to play that way and to play really aggressive and say, yeah, if it costs us a, you know, costs us a first down, the other team can move the marker a few times. That's fine. We'll just get them in the red zone. And when we get them on their side of the field, then frankly, who cares? And also it probably speaks to some confidence in their offense. As in, like, yeah, if we give up a touchdown because we're being too aggressive, that's fine. Our offense is just going to come down and get that touchdown anyway. I'm curious of, with the way that the roster is structured. Uh, I know this is year four of the way recruiting, uh, of, of kind of the, the Kirby Smart recruiting bonanza um, as it is. But, like, I think the general presumption is if, if Jake Fromm has a great year this year, he's probably going to go pro. Uh, that's a, I think that's a that's a fair assessment, right? I mean, we don't know. He's if like he's, he, I think if he's a, I think if he's a first round pick, yeah, he kind of has. Um, right? I, I, I think it ultimately, I, I, I you know, there, there's a lot of Georgia people who are confident that, and by Georgia people, I mean fans, that you know he's a Georgia guy, he loves Georgia. Um, that if they, you know, if they, especially if they don't win the national championship, if there's a sense of unfinished business, that he's going to come back. Well. You know, I, I also think that he's he's a guy who understands this is a business too. And if he's a surefire first round pick, it's hard not to go. Um, it would, I, I think, it's ultimately going to come down to. And, and Kirby Smart will tell you this: of, of those guys that those much celebrated guys, like especially Chubb and Michelle, who decided to come back for their senior year, it was a sacrifice. But none of them were surefire first round picks when they left. They needed that senior year to vault into first round picks. That it worked out great wasn't. for them. It yeah. was very close. Yeah, it worked yeah. out perfect for both. So, yeah, and, and I think Fromm saw that. So Fromm probably knows that. Look, if I'm not a surefire first round pick, why would I go? But if he is, I, I would bet he goes. But he's, he's going to be a polarizing prospect too because he's he's you know he's not a tall, classic, pro style pocket NFL quarterback. On the other hand. The NFL isn't necessarily going for that. Every team isn't either. So it's going to be pretty interesting. And I, I say that because we talk about like the, the windows and like obviously every year Georgia's trying to win the national championship. But last year, you talked about how, and I agree, that they kind of overachieved last year. Like they probably weren't, at least experience-wise and talent-wise, I th- they had to pedal pretty fast. Uh, and pedal pretty mm-hmm. hard to be able to do that last year. Do you think that when I look at the wide receivers and I look at some of the running backs, even who are obviously those guys are really good, but there's still a lot of young. There's really only one guy that has uh, um, that has really established himself. Elijah Holyfield, by the way, got a touchdown in a preseason game. By the way, I don't know if anybody noticed yes. that, but I was very happy for him after getting mocked all uh, all this time for for leaving early. Um, there's still like I, there's part of me that wonders if. The real, like, this year obviously uh, sets up uh, uh, pretty well. I think we'll talk about the schedule in a moment. But it still feels like there's, for a team that's supposed to be perpetual Alabama, 
uh, and they may, and they may very well get there. There still seem to be some holes, right? Like the, holes is a wrong term, but not obvious strong points. Wide receiver would seem to be one. Uh, mm-hmm. Cornerback theoretically uh, uh, could be one. Do you think that like the next year is the uh, obviously putting quarterback aside? Next year is the fully operational machine, or do you think this year is kind of what uh, uh, is? in year four is what he's been trying to establish all along. I think I I look at this year and I say that when you go back to what you said, not weak points, but not as strong points. um, I I think that's kind of even, I think Alabama faces that every year. So I think you're at that point now and you're, you know, people do ask because the overhanging thing is, is, this championship or bust year, you know, if they don't win the championship this year, and I mean the national championship are the naysayers about Kirby smart going to start coming out and point out, well, you know, everything was the first three years this way for, for Mark Rick too. And look what happened. Um, like, is there a window closing? And I tell them there isn't a window as far as talent. I think he's got kind of pretty much the fully operational death star right now, because when he got here, he inherited a class. The the first class he signed that was technically his was the Jacob Eason class that was, you know, half him, half Mark Rick, but the half Mark Rick part was also kind of half Jeremy Pruitt. And he had brought that kind of Alabama style recruiting culture with him. And there was also the previous year, the, the last Mark Rick class was, was pretty good. And it was also part Jeremy Pruitt. So I, I think he's got, what he's going to have the the window that is there is yes yeah, the Jake Fromm window and I I just it's the great unknowable at this point you know because I do think it probably does depend on what Fromm is hearing about whether he's a surefire first rounder and it depends on how well they do on the field probably too um, I'm not I don't mean to discount that with my previous answer about you know. It, about that. But I look at their not as strong points as we put like with wide receiver and with um, maybe secondary. And I say every, you can go around the field and say those aerials will be a little bit better next year, but they then will lose other players. That that happens every year. And they're going to be losing players early to the pros every year. That's just, you're, you're recruiting a lot of guys that are only three year guys. Um, they'll almost certainly lose Andrew Thomas to the NFL after this year. And perhaps Isaiah Wilson, perhaps Solomon Kinley, perhaps even Ben Cleveland. I mean, they could, we might be looking at their offensive line next year and saying, well, it's actually not as strong as we thought it was going to be because the guys that left were really good. They'll probably lose Deandre Swift and probably still be good at running back with near white and company, but, um, minus Brian Herrian too. And the running backs as strong and go on and on around the field. So I don't see this year as like the make or break year. On the other hand, I don't see it as still like working towards 2020. I, I, I think that that's, that is the best credit to what Kirby smart has done here is that we're sitting here going, yeah, I mean, maybe they do it this year. If they don't this year, they've probably got as much chance next year, depending on, what Jake Fromm does. But, you know, you, uh, and this is probably a good way to close on that idea, which is 
um, you know, one of my favorite things to do, uh, my, my wife is from Columbus. I, we host the, this podcast. We talk about Georgia football all the time. And, uh, obviously everyone's very excited about how this, all this is going. This is kind of what they wanted. Uh, just you mentioning that Kirby's first recruiting class was Jacob Eason was a reminder of that weird time when right after the Florida loss, uh, Rick flew out to Seattle <laughs> had that picture yeah. of him yeah. and Jacob Eason. I forgot about that moment. It's like, hmm, that feels desperate we'll go with desperate um you know so reminder of like that was that's obviously a much darker time than what's currently going on also however i um uh was at the super bowl when it was atlanta and i was talking to a lot of like national media and those, those sort of people and there i wouldn't say it would be unfair to say that uh they are cheering for Kirby Smart to fail, because I do not think that's true. They're A, they're good reporters, they're not cheering for anything. But I do think that you're already seeing uh, among, uh, I think some reports be like, well, just to remind everyone, look what Mark Rick did in this year, and then was able yeah. to uh, get back there. And and not ju- and I think this is a different ex- uh, situation, but Clemson and Alabama are not going away uh, to any stretch of the imagination. Uh, Florida is going to get better. Florida is getting better. I think uh, Tennessee stuff to get better. This like that little window that they basically got Rick fired of. Hey, why aren't you dominating the SEC East every year? No one else is stepping up. Those teams are coming back now. And uh, yeah, I, you, yeah, I think ahead. that's a good point about the East. Like, yeah. you, I, I don't see a team in the East that really hangs with Georgia. Frankly, I think Florida could hang with Georgia for one day in November when they play, but can, is Florida build up strong enough to then like win seven other sec games or even six other sec games? I'm I'm not really sure. I, I know. And I agree, but like what I'm saying is I feel like there's a larger sense of, like Kirby, like we, you, you, you and I have talked about this. Uh, I'm sure in hypothetical larger, larger projects, this is a major uh, would be a theoretical major narrative. But the idea, like people here, as you know, Seth, are desperate for a championship. Like that's what this is all about. That's why Rick was gone. That's why Kirby was brought in. And uh, it is obviously what he's been able to do has been incredibly impressive and is exactly what you would want someone to do to build a team to win a national championship. That is very easy. Yeah. You understand that. I understand that. Yeah. Generally, college football people understand that. A fan who's like, I want the championship. Uh, I, I want that title. My tickets in my uh, my enhancement fund stuff are so much more expensive than they used to be. Uh, this whole uh, uh, this whole environment has uh, all of a sudden we need this new facility. We need all of these things. The spending that I think a lot of people are very happy with Georgia doing, but you know, the average fan is also spending more money than they used to and getting a little less access than they used to. And it's all yeah. been specifically with this idea of that's okay. Because this is going to win us the title. So my question is, is, uh, and I think, I think clearly every decision that's been made has been a correct one. How long until people are like, well, okay, wait, uh, what if they, for example, what if they don't do it this year? What, what if they make this, what if they lose the SEC championship game this year and Fromm goes pro? 
Uh, that doesn't mm-hmm. look like a team that's that's uh, set up to, to. They're going to be good next year, but that doesn't look like a team that's going to be better, right? Like there's a there's a whole idea of it's one thing if you had told Georgia fans seven years ago, hey, look, you're three heading into the preseason, and you were three at the end of last year, and you're one spot away from the college football playoff, they'd be elated. But that's not how people actually experience sports. The way they experience sports is they're like, oh, we actually did a little worse than last year, and wait, right. now we're doing the same thing. Thing that we did last year. I guess my question for you is, knowing this fan base as long as you have and having covered the team as long as you have, do you think that if this year is another losing the SEC championship game to Alabama and Fromm goes pro, there would be frustration? Yeah, I, I think that scenario would probably be frustration. Whether it would be fair or not, um, I think would be open to interpretation. I'd, I'd want to see like what exactly happens, you know, were there other mitigating circumstances? Were they, you know, were they 12 and 0 going into the SEC championship and people felt like they were robbed by not getting a playoff bid the way some people felt last time, even though they, as I continue to point out to people, they were 11 and one last year's SEC championship. People act like they were 12 and 0 and forget that they did lose LSU also. But anyway, um, that game was terrible by the way, and really hot. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so yeah, I think it just depends on how it, how it goes. I, I, I guess there's also a sense of like, it it does also go back to what they did in year two. If Georgia didn't have that great year in year two and show that they're capable of it, because Kirby at that point was already showing he was a great recruiter when he and his staff showed that year that they are, they can coach him up pretty well too. Then that created an expectation that that raised expectations. You know, people forget, you know, I, I always say, I keep saying people forget, people don't forget. Mark Rick never even made the national championship game. Kirby smart did in the second year. Maybe Mark Rick does if there's a playoff when he's around, but that's a lot of story that I've written. So Kirby raises these expectations by having this great year too. It set up expectations for year three and year four, such that last year, which was 11 and one, nearly beat Alabama in the national, in the SEC championship it is considered a disappointment in large part because of the showing in the sugar bowl. But yeah, now it becomes well, the scenario you're setting up is disappointing to a lot of people. And you, you try to put everything in perspective, which is that they just kind of have the misfortune of being in the same league as this juggernaut, you know, Clemson doesn't have to go through Alabama. Um, you know, if you know, it's like they were Michigan, as in they had to go through Ohio State every year. Kirby raised the program to a certain point. He just did it at the same time that Alabama is still there, he's still doing its thing. So you've got to go through them, and I, I think that you have the SEC is so strong that being the second best team in the SEC is really nothing to sneeze at nationally and, and put that in perspective. But I do think, yeah, ultimately people are going to be frustrated if this year plays out the, the same way that last year did. And then Jake Fromm leaves and, and people say, well, you know, that's, that's not good for the program. On the other hand, if they don't go to the playoff this year, I, I think that increases the chances Jake Fromm comes back, not necessarily because, Jake Fromm is disappointed and really wants to finish the deal, but because Jake Fromm, that means probably didn't have that good a year. If Jake Fromm has a great year, 
then I think that enhances their chances of making the playoff to begin with, and, and everything kind of is connected. It feels like uh, all, no matter uh, once once this season is over, the next big day is September nineteenth, two thousand twenty, because it's always about Alabama again. <laughs> the idea, I have this, oh, yeah. I, I have yeah. this, this idea that Fromm leaves and whoever the quarterback is, then it's it's his third game as a starter, and you're at Alabama, and they lose like they did in the rain all that time ago, and we're all freaking out. I'm always, you know me, Seth. I'm a journalist. I'm always looking at the doom and gloom of things. Somebody has to, yeah, because you get too much. You know, we, that's our job. On yeah. the other hand, I know plenty of Georgia fans who, through the years, have been kind of conditioned to actually be worse doom and gloom than yeah. the yeah. jaded journalists. So sometimes yes. you have to kind of pull the other way. Also, a general reminder for everyone as a just a little PSA about the media in general. Um, a lot of times we're saying things are doom and gloomy because they're actually doom and gloomy. We're not talking about Georgia football <laughs> right now. Just uh, no, just no. a little, uh, just a little, uh, a little PSA. Um, all right, Seth. Uh, awesome as always. Uh, it is an honor that you do this uh, with us every year. I think I do owe you dinner again now. I think this is our our yearly thing. Um, also, uh, and also, I appreciate. By the way, I like you as occasional Maryland football correspondent uh, for for the Athletic. Uh, I'm curious. Our old pal uh, Mike Loxley uh, is there now. How many players yeah. is he going to attack or choke out? Or uh, at, uh, <laughs> uh, that? Uh... Yeah, you're, you're asking me based on uh, the story I did work hard on about yes. uh, looking back at their move to the Big Ten and whether it was the wise thing. Yeah. I am an expert on that. I'm not an expert on their current roster. That's okay. Yeah, that's to okay. say. In other words, I actually don't know the name of any of their current players. I that's okay. That's good. That's that all right. Uh, so. That, I understand. Uh, I wasn't really going to ask you about Maryland. I don't really care. They don't play Illinois this year, so I don't. I don't really care. Um, but uh, um, all right, uh, Seth. As I was also uh, one last thing, Seth is dominating my fantasy baseball league, and it's starting to irritate me. I, I I invited him as our as our as a new member this year, and he's killing us. So I'm going to have to take you out in the playoffs. But there's a there's a playoff coming. There is that's, a playoff. It's all about the playoff, up, man. It's going to happen. You can lose to LSU in the middle of the year, and it doesn't matter if you if you do well in the playoff. All right, so Seth, a reminder, everyone, subscribe to the Like I don't understand how anyone listening to this can possibly consider themselves a Georgia football fan if they are not subscribing to The Athletic to to read Seth Emerson. For crying out loud, you're the best reporter there is out there. No offense to everybody else. People got to be subscribing, so so keep up the great work, man, and please stop dominating my fantasy baseball league. Thank you. Thank you, Will. I'll, if you keep saying those things about me and the athletic, I'll, I'll go ahead and I'll, I'll, I'll bench Alex Bregman. Next That's good. I appreciate that. That'd be awesome. Uh, all right. So we're going to another podcast later on this week, by the way. We have a regular show, by the way. We're doing our big Georgia season preview, actually. We want your questions for that. So tweet us at, w, at WSLS Podcast. I think that's what it is, probably. Scott! Whatever it is. Uh, and then uh, we're going to do our big preview show this week. I'm also going to be talking to my New York Magazine colleague, Ed Kilgore, who is a political correspondent, actually, for New York Magazine, and a dog, a Georgia guy. We're going to be discussing football and the ethical dilemmas of football. He'll probably say something about my Dabo Sweeney piece, which I have to thank Seth Emerson for not mentioning, <laughs> because every time I mention that, uh, someone from the 200-mile radius of my house throws something at it. <laughs> so, um, anyway, have a great week everyone uh, we'll be back soon but Seth thank you as always see you, everyone back to Scott thanks Will and thank you all for listening and thank you Seth for taking time out of your busy schedule to speak with Will and for the benefit of our podcast we are really ramping up productions for our 2019 Georgia Bulldogs preview show which will be out later this week and remember as Will mentioned in the show 
And as we've been putting out on social media, we want our preview show to be completely listener-driven. So submit a question or comment via Twitter at WSLS Podcast, or you can email us at, no, it's not at, but email us WSLSPodcast at gmail.com, or even Instagram at WSLS Podcast. We're checking that as well. The response thus far has been nothing short of amazing, so thank you for that. Make sure to remember to sign up for our Fun Office Pools Pick'em Contest. We're going to have actual, and I mean actual, prizes this year. And of all, and if, and if, it's the end of the podcast. It always gets this way. And we've already received a few contributions from some local companies, so be excited about that. Links to sign up will be in the show notes of this episode. And that's it. Subscribe to our show. Subscribe to The Athletic to read Seth's articles. And we'll see you on campus very soon. Have a great week, y'all. Go dogs.